0: Our opening words this morning are a poem by Jalaluddin Rumi as translated by Coleman Barks called The Guest House. This being human is a guest house. Every morning a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some moment Very awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all, even if they are a crowd of sorrows, who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door, laughing, and invite them in. Be grateful for whatever comes, because each has been sent.
1: Thank you.
2: Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Brian Pashigian, and my pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm so glad that you're here this morning, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. We hope that you'll join us after platform service for cookies and coffee in the lobby in the social hall. Also, please consider sharing your email with us in the gold sheet found at the welcome table. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket or give it to someone at the welcome table after the platform. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning, although we'd love it if you could check in on social media. I now invite Jonathan and Laura to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared, vo- shared values in each other's voices. Jonathan and Laura are our newest additions to the incredible teaching team and the Sunday Ethical Education for Kids program. As we finish our monthly theme of wholeness, we are appreciative of how our teachers care for the whole child. The
3: Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities.
0: We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders.
2: Thank you. As Jonathan lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candlelighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Thank you. Each week, we ring this this chime in solidarity with people around the world. Today, I'm particularly mindful of the almost 300 people who were killed in Sri Lanka last Sunday, as many of them celebrated Easter together, and also of those killed yesterday at the synagogue Habab of Poe in San Diego. As we listen to this chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurt in the world. Let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I now invite you into a time of meditation. This month, we invite you to participate in a sung meditation, using the form of a meta-meditation inspired by the Buddhist tradition. This meditation sends compassion out to the world, starting with oneself and moving each time further out. The lyrics will be projected so that you may sing along, though once you know the words, it can be a powerful experience to close your eyes while singing, if you choose, or if you prefer, you may simply let the music wash over you. After we are finished singing, we will have a period of silence.
0: Those words calling for wholeness and wellness for all, peacefulness for all feel particularly um, salient after your holding, Brian, of those who have lost their lives in this past week. I love you. You're perfect. Now change. It's a title of an off-Broadway musical. It's actually the longest-running off-Broadway musical of all time, apparently. I Love You, You're Perfect, Now Change. I haven't seen that musical, but it resonates deeply with me anyway. (laughs) I do um, premarital counseling, of course, before um, I officiate at weddings, and I think perhaps I will suggest incorporating those words just right into the vows. I love you. Your perfect now change. It's almost a cliche to talk about the ways in which, which we wish our partners or our bosses or our employees or our friends would change. And just as much a truism, although it is indeed true, that we cannot change other people. We only can change ourselves. My least favorite realization of therapy. (laughs) And so I wonder what would happen if we turned it around. I love myself. I'm perfect. Now I need to change. Somehow when I say it that way, it feels heavier deeper to me. I love myself, I'm perfect, and I need to change. Over the course of my lifetime and perhaps over the course of yours, I feel as though I have seesawed between believing one of those things or the other. I love myself, I'm perfect, I need to change. And I have known at some level that it was a core spiritual and emotional task to learn to believe both of them. When we discovered that the theme for April was going to be wholeness, I knew that I wanted to talk about this core task, about the reality of our wholeness and our brokenness, the reality of our perfection and our imperfection, at the same time, and the need for us to hold both understandings of ourselves. There's a story from the Jewish tradition that I have long been drawn to, a story about a rabbi who taught that we each need two slips of paper, one in each pocket that we carry around with us. One slip of paper should say, I am nothing but dust and ashes. And the other slip of paper should say, the world was created for me. I am nothing but dust and ashes. The world is created for me. I've heard the story too with stones carried in your pocket to remind you of those things. Rob McDonald, a West member, actually sent this story to me and it was like seeing an old friend pop up in my inbox, this story of the reminder of the both and in our lives. And he thought about it a little bit more. He wrote, I think about this idea as a scientist. You have to be both exceedingly arrogant to think that you can study some phenomenon no one has ever studied before as well as deeply humble, since for most scientists you are never more than a few bricks in the grand edifice that is scientific knowledge. It occurs to me literally just now that the same might be said for a preacher too. (laughs) Arrogant and humble at the same time. I have been thinking about this as a polarity. Um, And I think that slip of paper story illustrates it beautifully. LA, our interim director of lifelong learning, and I have been taking an interim uh, training together, an interim training for religious professionals, for folks that serve congregations. And we've been studying a whole lot of different sort of ways of looking at systems. And one of them is the idea of polarities. And when I first learned about the concept, I thought instead about like, polarization, right? When people think two totally opposite things and, you know, how can they have a conversation with each other and that's important. But the idea of polarities, as we've talked about it, is that sometimes there are two things that are seemingly at odds with each other, but that rather than deciding between one or the other, rather than saying this one is good and this one isn't, Instead, what we are invited to do is to hold both, to know that, in fact, we need some measure of each of them to have balance. The image used with these polarities is that of a a sideways figure eight or an infinity symbol, right? Kind of needing to come back over here and then sort of course correct and have a little over here. And the examples that they gave us were, were work and rest. If you only work with no rest... You'll tire yourself out, but if you only rest with no work, you won't get anything done, right? You need to go back and forth between the two. Work and rest, perfection and imperfection, knowing you are dust and ashes, knowing you are central to the world. I love myself. I am perfect, and I must change. Why, I wonder, is this so hard to do? Because here's the thing. You know if there's a story from a rabbi about it, it's because it's hard to do, right? The rabbis don't write stories and hand them down for many generations if everyone's just like, oh, snap, got that taken care of. There was a New York Times um, op-ed recently by Alvram Alpert um, who's a writing professor at Princeton. It's actually an essay that won the Brooklyn Public Library's 2019 Night of Philosophy essay contest, which totally sounds like a great time to me and probably that says a lot about me. Um, and, and in it he talks about um, the idea of greatness. Alpert writes ideals of greatness cut across the American political spectrum. The desire for greatness also unites the diverse philosophical camps of Western ethics. Aristotle called for practicing the highest virtue. Kant believed in an ethical rule so stringent, not even he thought it was achievable by mortals. Bummer. Bentham's utilitarianism is about maximizing happiness. Marx sought the great world for all, end quote. Those messages about perfectionism, about the the quest to be perfect are all around us. We see them in the beauty industrial complex that tells us not to age and to have perfect hair and perfect skin. In the drive for a 4.0 GPA, the idea of being able to have it all as a working parent, or the ideal retirement, which I I like to think about retiring sometimes. It sounds nice. Um, but, then, but then I start to feel stressed, right, about what you're supposed to do. Somehow you are both deeply wise and also a bodily well person dividing your time between volunteering, reflecting on life on a porch rocker and a hiking in Kathmandu. It doesn't seem quite realistic. What are we to do when faced with all this call for greatness, for perfection, for the absolute best that we might be able to be? Alpert goes on, swimming against the tide of greatness, he writes, is a counter-history of ethics embodied by schools of thought as diverse as Buddhism, romanticism, and psychoanalysis. It is by borrowing from D.W. Winnicott, an important figure in the development of psychoanalysis, that we get perhaps the best name for this other ethics, the good enough life. To fully become good enough, Alpert writes, is to grow up into a world that is itself good enough, that is as full of care and love as it is of suffering and frustration. I love the idea of a good enough life. It feels just slightly more attainable, good enough. And certainly I love the resistance that it offers to the quest for a perfect life or even a great life. And still I think there is something a little deeper at the heart of the perfect imperfect polarity. Our whole and brokenness the stones and slips of paper we are asked to carry in our pockets. Part of that depth, I think, is in the brokenness part, in how we really face and acknowledge the part of us that needs to change or that has changed the part that we might not want to look at so closely or hold so tight. Wholeness is not, according to Parker Palmer, perfection. It means, he writes, embracing brokenness as an integral part of life. There are a number of different practices that I find helpful when I think about that idea of embracing the brokenness in our lives, the scars that we carry. Kintsugi is a Japanese tradition of taking broken pottery and mending it, but not mending it carefully so that you can't see any of the cracks. Instead, mending it with molten gold so that the cracks fill in and are highlighted in the dish. A new pottery piece is created in kintsugi that doesn't look the same as it did before. Instead, it is more beautiful and more precious because of the web of gold it holds. There's a new um, practice as well, which you can look at on on YouTube. I actually love the um, videos they're done. They're done in that kind of YouTube video way that's deeply satisfying to watch. I don't know if you've seen them, um, but it's called visible mending. I was taught, when I was taught to, you know, mend holes in my kids' um, pants to try to do it so that you could not see the stitches, right? You know, as carefully as possible so that you could um, barely notice that there was something there. Visible mending is like patching or embroidering around the tear. And I really do encourage you to watch these YouTube videos. You won't be able to look away as the the thread goes through little by little. I saw a series of images yesterday as well um, showcasing tattoos that people had had around their scars, their physical bodily scars. In some cases, the scar was transformed into a tree or a bird. In some cases, it was incorporated in sort of hilariously gruesome ways into sort of funny scenes. There was one really great shark where a Burn was incorporated into the open mouth of the shark and another where a deep scar became the fire breathing out of the dragon. The ones that I liked best though didn't transform the scar so much as highlight it. A tattoo of a needle and thread going over the suture site or arrestingly, two doctor's hands, one holding a scalpel on either side of the open heart surgery scar. The tattoo made you think of the scar more deeply. It not just transformed it, it reclaimed it, it owned it, and all that the scar meant. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Jekyll and Hyde, whether you've read it or not. And I actually have to say I, I haven't posed too scary for me. But, um, but of course I know the trope, right? Um, there's uh, Dr. Jekyll who's trying to get out of himself all the bad and so creates a potion but inadvertently creates an alternate version of himself. His mistake is not that he had bad within him, but that he tried to excise it completely, thus creating a true monster. Ruskin in The Stones of Venice writes, Imperfection is in some sort essential to all that we know of life. It is the sign of life in a mortal body, that is to say, of a state of progress and change. Nothing that lives is or can be rigidly perfect. Part of it is decaying, part nascent. Instead of trying to remove all our scars, all our imperfections, all that is broken about us, all that we would rather not see about ourselves, instead we are invited to hold them more closely more carefully, just as we might a child in need. Thank you for that beautiful (laughs) cue. Just as we might one who is struggling. It is heart work, hard work and heart work allow ourselves to see beauty even in our brokenness. But all of this acknowledging and honoring our imperfections, making them beautiful, transforming them into works of art of molten gold and tattooed um, birds, it's not the final word on imperfection, I think. The phrase isn't, I love myself, I'm perfect, even though I'm a total jerk some of the time and I won't change. (laughs) On the deepest level, I think about this reality with those of us who have experienced trauma in our lives. Trauma often leads us to an experience of brokenness and there is some core work to do to hold ourselves and love ourselves with and through that brokenness, to honor the scars we carry, and to acknowledge that in that brokenness we are indeed whole. And trauma can also lead to acting out, to perpetuating cycles of violence, to behaving and responding in ways that are still caught in the old wounds. And that's the part that calls us to do more work, to honor and hold and love the brokenness, and it's a polarity, right? And to find new ways of moving and being and reacting in the world. I love myself. I am perfect. And I must change. All of us, whether our histories include actual trauma or simply the challenges that life offers to us, have these places within ourselves, these places that call for our care and self-compassion, our acknowledgement and love, and also invite us toward change. Ethical societies are a place where we put this practice into work. A place where we are invited into relationship with so many different people and where the rough edges that each one of us has might rub up metaphorically against the rough edges someone else has such that we notice at those times the ways in which we are called to change. In fact, this work, I believe, is built right into our core values. The worth of every person. I love myself. I am perfect. And the call to elicit the best in ourselves and in each other. I must change. In this congregation, we have been talking for some years about creating something um, called by many names. I sometimes like to refer to it as the artist formerly known as, but currently referred to as the Community Relations Pact, a way of talking about how we want to be with each other, how we want to show up in the world, acknowledging the brokenness and the challenge that each of us carry, and yet striving for a community of care and respect. And so today, I'm actually really very excited. I have been talking with the Community Relations Committee, and before that, the Committee on Community and Leader Support, which is its previous title, there's a lot of word changes around here, it's okay, the concepts stay the same, Um, about having something like this for, oh, Jen, you were on that committee probably 10 years ago, right? And and the Community Relations Committee has indeed created something with your input um, that they are prepared to share with you in draft form. And so I'm excited to invite Joe London and Randy Myers, two of the members of that committee, to come forward this morning and to share a little bit about the creation and then to share with you the beginning of the pact. And you can come on up. And here's what I would invite you to hold in your heart as you hear these words. You know, I sometimes think that there's no value we hold more deeply at the Ethical Society than the value of editing comma placement. And so Perry's like, no, legit, that's my favorite value. <clears throat> and so as you hear these words and as you are invited to interact with them, I want you to in- hold in your mind, oh, words, I love you. You're perfect. Now change as we begin the process together.
3: <laughs> Good morning, everybody. I am Randy Myers, and I am in my second year of serving on the Community Relations Committee. I am honored for this opportunity, along with my committee colleagues, to to make some introductory remarks presenting to you our draft of the West Community Relations Pact. This pact is an agreement we hope we'll all engage in to respect how we communicate and act among ourselves and might have an impact in our relationships with people outside of our congregation as well. We believe that this document of this nature, that a document of this nature is rather timely given how challenging relationships are, can be, and have been among us and in the world. This pact is derived from Wes's statement of purpose, your collective input from an exercise that we carried out at a membership meeting in last June 2018, and ideas shared from other like congregations in this country the crc plans to oh we brought this pact i'm sorry we brought this pact a draft of the pact to the committee it underwent a series of deep discussions and revisions and then we shared that final draft with the board of trustees who also made some thoughtful comments as well the crc intends to build on this pact offering new communication interpersonal relationship and conflict resolution, learning opportunities here at WES to improve communication and relational skills among us. And now we have this opportunity to share it with all of you for your review and receive whatever input you may have and incorporate that into a revised version for a vote at the upcoming membership meeting in June. We look forward to hearing your feedback at small group discussions taking place on May 5th, May 19th, those are Sundays, between and after platform, and May 14th, which is a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. We also set up, we will have also set up an avenue online for those of you who wish to take some time to share your thoughts in writing. Thank you so much.
1: Hi, I'm, I'm Joe London. I'm the, I'm the chair of the Community Relations Committee. We have two other members, Laura Tyler and Rajesh Vidyasagar, uh, but they're both out of town and unfortunately couldn't be here today. So I will begin reading the pact and we'll uh, alternate. <clears throat> West members work together. To create a community that is welcoming, caring, and respectful. A community in which members freely express and explore their perspectives, assumptions, and beliefs. West members feel able to voice what they have been unable or unwilling to voice elsewhere. In keeping with the, uh, the West statement of purpose. And commitment to positive relationships, we as West members value and seek to engage in the following ways
3: engage direct face to face communication with positive intent and respect in both agreement and conflict.
1: Speak with kindness, sincerity, authenticity, and clarity from our own perspectives.
3: Accept responsibility for our own feelings, expressions, behavior, and actions.
1: Respect other people's boundaries and be clear about our own.
3: Maintain trust and integrity. By carefully making and keeping agreements. And honoring one our own and others right to say no.
1: Consider requests for confidentiality with care. Keeping in mind when confidentiality is important and builds trust and when it can be harmful.
3: Respect that each person's story is theirs to share.
1: Listen actively and be open to receiving feedback without responding with criticism, judgment, defensiveness, or demand.
3: Express regret for harm we may have caused. Offer to make amends for transgressions and do better in the future.
1: Open heartedly receive apologies and seek to move forward.
3: Engage in good faith with Wes Wes's conflict resolution processes.
1: Engage, uh, I'm sorry, uh, understand that people may need time to process their thoughts and further contribute to the discussion. Allow space for this with the expectation that we stay engaged with each
3: other. Appreciate individual choice while also recognizing the importance of community health as a whole
1: model healthy and productive disagreement in the community through open discussion and respectful debate
3: acknowledge that there that unconscious systemic oppression exists in the larger society and continues to affect us.
1: Create and nurture a multiracial, multicultural community.
3: Support each other's growth.
1: And last but not least, express gratitude readily and accept appreciation graciously.
0: I want to appreciate all of the work that the Community Relations Committee has done over years to come to this point, which I think can be summed up as, I love you, you're perfect, now change. I love myself, I am perfect, I must change. We love ourselves, we are perfect. We will change.
2: This is the time when we add our own voices to the morning and what resonated in our own lives and our reflections of the platform. I invite you to raise your hand and begin with your name. This morning, you might consider sharing ways that you have changed and a way that you may continue to be perfectly imperfect.